Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning, everybody. Um, as said, my name is Steve. I'm uh, Richie's, uh, I was going to lie and say younger brother, but I'm his older brother. And we have the same cop, so you can recognize the two of us. I'm married to Dee. We have four beautiful children. Our eldest, Hannah, is 16, and she's a week apart from Gemma. Our second is Rachel, and she's a day apart from Chloe. We it. Yeah, we played it. Planned it. Rich and I were on the phone. It's like, what are you doing tonight? And, <laughs> And then we have uh, twins that are 13, and um, they are six months older than Josh. So we also have four kids, so we uh, took it literally to go forth and multiply. And so we have a a house full of teenagers, so it's a wide, wide, wonderful world in our house at the moment. So it was easy with little kids, you know. So, But that's that's a little bit about us. We pastor a church in Neisner called Neisner Vineyard. And so um, we, it's just a joy for us to be here. We've pre- ministered here once before, and so thank you so much for inviting us back. Um, it's always a good thing when you get invited back, eh? So, but I, I just want to honor Harvest Schlonger. You know, this is a house that has a legacy of faith, a legacy of honor. It's a legacy of friendship. If you have to look at how Rich and George minister together, you know, it is so unique to have pastoral friendships that can minister in unity without a sense of competition. Uh, Almost like a covenantal thing that David and Jonathan had. And it's so wonderful to see here um, in this place of worship. There is a real special thing that is happening here with Harvest and Schlonger, and we just want to bless that, you know. George is a really deep theological, contemplative thinker. And you're blessed to have somebody like this who loves you the way that he does. You know, and to have rich and tons, rich is so relational. And if you know what it is to be loved, just hang out with Tanya. And so you're blessed to have these ministry gifts here who can really, really love you in the way that God intends. Amen. Um, Warren, you know, while we were there, I was, um, I've never met you. Um, but uh, the word gave me a word for you, and it's the word sniper. And I just felt the Lord just saying that um, you've been a rifleman and that God is calling you to be a sniper and it's not to kill people but it's because God is giving you a clarity of focus in terms of what he's depositing in you for people is to be extremely specific, to be extremely intentional with what he's wanting to say where there is something that God's going to download into you where it's not just going to be I wonder if or I'm sensing or I'm leading where God is going to be speaking to you so clearly that you are going to be like a sniper where it's so focused and spot on for people and that this is not a do I have to this is I get to partner with God in this where you're going to be so specific and accurate with words of wisdom and knowledge and it's for the benefit of loving people amen so 
last week, Marilyn shared with you just a little bit about looking into love out and shared a little bit from Romans chapter 15, verse 7, where it says, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. And um, as I listened to Marilyn, it was almost like a confirmation of what uh, God had already spoken to me that I'd like to share with you this morning. And it's on the power of acceptance, on how we can grow in our relationship with God without the fear or knowledge of or experience of rejection, because I think the opposite of, of acceptance is rejection. And how most of us have experienced some form of rejection in life, whether it's been from an ex-spouse or partner or a parent or a family member or a boss or an employer, employee, a, a partner in some form or, or manner, and that we can get to the place where we can live the way that Jesus did. Where Jesus lived with the affirmation of his Father. So God spoke from heaven and said to Jesus, you are the Son in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus lived with this affirmation of his Father's love. And as he lived, miracles happened and people's lives were changed. And he never lived for the approval or acceptance of people. He lived with this knowledge and experience of the love of God that was so alive in him that he just did and said what he saw his father saying and doing without looking for the approval of men in any way. And that you and I can also live from a place of total surrender to the acceptance of God. Total surrender to the love of God where we are no longer looking to see whether people like us or not. Now, for all of us, that's a journey, especially for those of us who are um, Generation X, you know. We are a little bit older, we're wearing skinny jeans and white shoes because we want to be liked by people, you know, and it's like, that's the trend. <laughs> and so, this is a journey for ministers as much as it is for anybody else, you know. So, before I get into that, I just need to share a joke with you, okay, because jokes settle my nerves a little bit and they help everybody just relax. So there was an elderly couple who in their old age noticed that they were getting a little bit more forgetful. So they go and see the doctor. And the doctor said, well, my advice is go and start writing things down so that you can remember what your spouse is telling you. So they're like, that's a good idea. So they go home and the old lady asks her husband, when they get home, please will you give me a bowl of ice cream? And so he says, no problem. And as he gets up, she says, you might want to write that down. So he says, no, I think I can remember that, a bowl of ice cream. So as he's getting into the kitchen, she says, listen, with that bowl of ice cream, please won't you put some whipped cream? So he says, no problem, my darling. And then she says, you might want to write that down. He says, no, I think I can remember that, a bowl of ice cream with whipped cream. So then he gets into the kitchen and he hears a voice from outside. He says, won't you just add a cherry to that? So he says, no problem. And she says, you might want to write that down. He says, no, I've got it, a bowl of ice cream, whipped cream with a cherry on top. So about 30 minutes goes past. It's an unusually long time. And after about 30 minutes, he comes out with a tray, and on the tray is bacon and eggs. And he gives it to his wife, and she looks at the bacon of eggs, bacon and eggs, and she looks at him, and she looks at the bacon and eggs, and looks at him, and she says, where's the toast? <laughs> uh, I shared this in our church. And one of the couples came up to us and said, true story. <laughs> but I want to just talk a little bit and share some key truths out of the word of God this morning, how you can 
live in the power of acceptance so that we can let go with the, of, of this sense of rejection. And I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 1 from verses 1 to 2 in the New American Standard and then we'll switch to the Living Bible. But here Paul starts and he says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul opens up with this introduction. And this introduction is used 17 times in the New Testament. Where he's saying, I want you to interpret what I'm going to be saying now through the lens of grace and peace. That there is grace for you. Now grace here is the word charis, which means God's ability or a divine influence on your heart enabling you to do that which you can't do naturally. So it's the supernatural ability of God. God's ability is available for you and peace from God our Father, that God himself is at peace with you. And he introduces this letter to say, everything that I say from now onwards, you need to know this is from the perspective and the lens of grace and peace. And then he gets to verse three. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in heaven because we belong to Christ. And I love the way that he says this because he says he has blessed us. How many people, how many Christians do you know that are saying, what do I need to do to get God to bless me? But he says he has already blessed you in Christ, past tense. It's about us actually believing that we are blessed, rather than coming to God asking the wrong question. You know, if you ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer. Remember the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what can you do to get an inheritance? Absolutely nothing. An inheritance isn't based on you doing something. An inheritance is based on somebody leaving you something in their will. See, when we ask the wrong question, we often get the wrong answer. So if I'm coming to God asking him, what do I need to do to get you to bless me, answer me, heal me, give me something, I'm asking the wrong question. I believe like when we come to God with that question, there's this awkward silence in heaven. Because it's like, you're asking me for something I've already given you. And that's what he's saying. He has blessed you with everything. All of the promises of God are yes and amen, not some of the promises are maybe. If God wills. You know, we come to God with this religious mindset, thinking that he's a stingy, distant, austere father sitting in heaven withholding something. Yet the Bible says if God gave up his son and delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And so we've got to let go of this mindset that God is in heaven withholding something until I get my ducks in a row, or until I get my life right, or until I'm a better person. No, God in Christ has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Amen. Then he says in verse 4, long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ 
would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. Mm. We who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Now, all praise to God for his wonderful kindness to us and his favor that he has poured out upon us because we belong to his dearly loved son. So overflowing is his kindness toward us that he took away all our sins through the blood of his son by whom we are saved. And he has showered down upon us the richness of his grace for how well he understands us and knows what is best for us at all times. Amen. We can go home now. What a declaration of God's love and acceptance here in verse 4, which says that God chose us. You know that you are not illegitimate. You have been chosen by God on purpose. Now, you know, when I was growing up, I was an average sportsman. Rich, my brother, was an excellent sportsman. So when they would line you up to choose who wants to be in your team, Rich was always chosen first. I would often stand there and be the last. Have you ever been that guy? Where it's like when they're choosing guys to be on the team, and it's like, well, we have to choose you. Here the Bible says that God's intent was to choose you as his own. Not because he has to or because you're left over. No, he chose you because of the intent of his will that you have been chosen by God. He says here, why? To be blameless without a single fault. Do you know that when God chooses you, he's not choosing you to find fault with you. It's actually very interesting in James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Let no man say when he is being tempted by God that it is God, because God tempts no man, nor can he himself be tempted. That word tempted means to be tested, tried, or scrutinized. So let no man say when he feels his life is being tempted tested, tried, or being scrutinized to find fault that it is God. Because God doesn't tempt, test, try, or scrutinize any man. And that's what he's saying here in verse 5. He's saying here that God has chosen you to be holy and blameless and without fault in his eyes. Now we are so insecure that when we look in the mirror, we are not looking to see that we are being beautifully and fearfully made, we look to find fault. And then we try to cover up our faults. So, like, I can't even comb my hair right <laughs> to make myself look better. You know how, how insecure we are? You take a group photo of you, who are you looking for in that photograph? Yourself. And that photo is only a good one if you're looking good in it. But here God says that you've been chosen to be holy and blameless and without fault in his sight. That when God sees you, he's not looking to find fault with you. 
When God sees you, he's seeing that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that as righteous as Jesus is, so are you. And then he says that we have been covered by his love. That is what true covering is in a New Testament context, that you have been covered by God, that he loves you. So the love that he's talking about here is the agape love of God. This this love, which is a self-sacrificial love that values the person being loved and considers them precious. That is what extravagant, unconditional love looks like. Where God loves you not to get something from you, where God loves you to give everything of himself to you. And he's saying that's the love that we need to be covered by. You know, it's anybody can have children. Any adult can be a parent. You know that. It just takes two adults to be a parent. It takes no experience. You've just got to be alive and an adult. So having children is no indication of love for the parents or the children. But to be adopted is something extremely different because you get to choose the one you're going to love. And the Bible says that you and I have been adopted by God. He says, listen, I know what I'm getting when I adopt you. Warts and all. I know what I'm getting, good and bad. I know what I'm getting, issues and those who pretend they have no issues. I know what I'm getting when I adopt you. And God, the Bible says, has chosen you and adopted you as his very own. And the Bible says here that he did this out of the kind intention of his will. God's will was involved when he says, man, I choose you. In the King James Version, it says it was the good pleasure of his will. See, when, when we begin to surrender to this fact that God actually loves and accepts us, the Bible says that we then declare to the angels the mercy of God. We demonstrate to the angels of God what mercy looks like when we surrender to the love and mercy of God. And the Bible continues to say, when we do that, we will shine like stars. We're accepted in the beloved. So I want to just focus on three areas or three people in the Bible who experienced rejection and how we can grow and learn from this to experience the love of God for ourselves. And the first is in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. This is um, the leper. And it says, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So the leper was being rejected by people and society because of what he looked like. He didn't choose his his hereditary. He didn't choose the disease that he was experiencing. He didn't choose the fact that his ear was falling off and he had no fingers, that he smelled bad and that he had to walk around saying unclean. He didn't have any choice in the matter. And so he lived a life isolated and rejected by people by something that he didn't choose. Now, you didn't choose your family. You didn't choose the way that you look now. 
And I cannot allow those things to stop me from experiencing what God has for me. Yet so many people live life living rejected because of how they view themselves. Because they're not good enough or not good looking enough. I was going to say maybe they smell bad, but we won't go there. But, but this is our selfie generation. It's like, look at me like me. Am I good enough? Do I look good enough? And so we live lives rejecting or waiting for people to accept us and looking for likes before we can feel good about ourselves. The second person is Luke chapter 5. But before we get there, Jesus, the Bible says, went to the leper and he touched him and said, I'm willing. Because he was asking the question, Lord, are you willing? Now, we know that God is able, but we question God's willingness. And this is what this leper was doing. He's like, I know that you have the capacity, God, but are you willing? And the Greek word here, willing, means to feel relieved. And the connotation is when you really need to go to the loo. And you can't find one, and then you find one. So how many of you have been in the car, and it's like, man, you, you, you're praying that you don't go over a bump. And then when you find the loo, it's like a, <sighs> that is the word willing. Jesus felt a release when he touched this man to heal him. There was a release in Jesus, like, of course I'm willing. Of course, not only do I have the capacity, but I'm willing to touch you. And there was a release and a relief from Jesus to say, here, I am willing. And he touched him. And immediately the man was made well. Secondly, in Luke chapter 5, from verse 27, it says, After that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and he got up and began to follow him. You know, uh, a relationship with Jesus shouldn't be complicated. Simple instruction. Follow me. Not be better, do right, do this, do the next thing. Here's the list, fulfill that, and maybe you'll be qualified. Very simple. Follow me. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Notice two categories of people, tax collectors and sinners, because tax collectors were considered worse than sinners. And it's true today. <laughs> the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the tax collector lived a rejected life because of what he chose. So he was a Jew who chose to go and collect taxes from his peers, from those who he grew up with, those who he lived with, on behalf of the Roman government so that he could make some bucks. He chose money over relationships. He chose coin over his culture. And so he lived a rejected life because he chose that. Now it's interesting, people who are 
struggling with rejection oftentimes choose rejection because it's like, I'm going to reject you before you can reject me. Rejected people will walk into a room and the very desire of their heart is to be accepted. Yet people will scatter because of what's in their, their own hearts. I wrote down here, um, rejected people are afraid to give and receive love, so will look for their identity in works, games, or isolated lives. Rejected people live their lives trying to get everyone around them to prove themselves, and the result is every relationship around them is destroyed. The very thing they're looking for, acceptance, they will destroy because of what's going on inside of them. Rejected people want people to love them, but actually push the very people who are loving them away because of what's going on inside of them. But here Jesus comes to the leper. Jesus chose the leper and the tax collector. He didn't say, listen, wait until you get over your rejection issues. Jesus came to them. Jesus touched them. Jesus dined with them, ate with them, and said, I'm going to come to you. You don't have to wait until you get your life right. You can't, but I can. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to love on you. And in you discovering my love, something will happen. And that's what happened with the tax collector. Because he experienced Jesus' acceptance, what did he say? I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to give stuff away. Because he experienced acceptance. And the last person I want to focus on this morning is in John chapter 8, from verses 1 to 11. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him, test him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So here is a woman caught in the very act. Now, according to the law, if you were caught in the act of adultery, both the man and the woman need to be called before the elders and stoned, according to the law. Here they only bring the woman, which means the Pharisees were peeping Toms, and probably one of the Pharisees was the other party. It's like, I'll go and do something for the Lord. And so they bring her to Jesus. It's interesting, they then start to use the law. According to the law of Moses, this woman needs to be stoned. So they are bringing Scripture to the Word of God. Because Jesus, the Bible says, was the Word made flesh. They bring the law to the Word of God. And they say, according to the law. 
Now remember, the law was written by the very finger of God on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, the Bible says, were given to Moses and were written by the very finger of God. And they are now saying, this law rejects this woman, which means God rejects this woman. Now all of this, the Bible says, they did this just to test Jesus. They didn't care about the woman. They just wanted something where they could accuse Jesus. Because Jesus dealt with people according to mercy. Jesus did things to restore a sense of dignity and worth and value to mankind. And they come to him and they say, according to the law, word of God, she needs to be stoned. Jesus, word of God, what do you say according to what has happened? What needs to happen to her? The Bible says that Jesus who is the word of God, stoops down with his finger and writes in the dust. In dust that can be swept by the wind, that can be walked over and forgotten. And then he stands up and they kept on saying, what do you say, word of God, concerning this woman who is rejected by God because of her performance? Because she was caught in her shame. Because she was caught in her sin. Because she was caught rebelling against the law. What do you say, Jesus? And then he said, you who are without sin can throw the first stone. And they all left from the oldest to the youngest. The oldest because they've lived longer than the youngest and have sinned more. And then he stooped down and the Bible says he wrote again with his finger in the dust. Now we have no conclusive evidence of what he was writing in the dust there. Maybe he was playing noughts and crosses with the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, tie again. <laughs> and then he gets up and it's only this woman who is standing before him. And he asks a question. Is there no one else? Where are those who want to condemn you? Where are those who have brought an accusation? Because remember, the law is a ministry of death. The law is a ministry of condemnation. The Bible says the law kills. So he's asking those who have brought the ministry of death who wanted to kill you and see you stoned. Those who have said, you are not good enough according to the law. Where are they? Those who have wanted to condemn you and accuse you, where are they? And she says, there is no one, Lord. And then he utters this, the word of God, Jesus, utters these words. Neither do I condemn you. In Romans 8, we know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I believe that many Christians are living with condemnation like a low-grade fever, where it's, they're not taking medication because it's just a low-grade fever. And they're living with a sense of condemnation deep in their hearts, thinking that if I just try harder, or they are stuck in a cycle of sin, stuck in a cycle of, Lord, I'm sorry, I did it again. 
feeling rejected by the law, feeling rejected by a sense of legalism, feeling rejected and condemned by this deep sense within them, I'm never ever gonna be good enough for God to use me, bless me, heal me, whatever it might be. Living with a sense that they've been rejected by God because of something they are doing or have done. Yet not responding to the very life giver who says, neither do I condemn you. In Colossians chapter one, it says it this way. For God wanted all of himself to be in his son. It was through what his son did that God cleared a path for everything to come to him. All things in heaven and on earth. For Christ's death on the cross made peace with God for all by his blood. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies and hated him and were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, look at your neighbor and say yet now. He has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through the death on the cross of his own human body. And now, as a result, Christ has brought you into the very presence of God. And you are standing there before him with nothing left against you. Nothing left that he could even chide you for. He's saying that Christ himself takes you and presents you before the Father. And as he presents you before the Father, he presents you as holy and blameless and without fault. Do you know that Jesus' blood has been sprinkled on the mercy seat? That you have been washed and regenerated by the blood of Jesus. That you stand before God right now in the very presence of God, brought near by Christ himself, where he presents you righteous, holy, blameless, without reproach, with nothing left to chide you for. That I don't have to come into the presence of God with this expectation that God is going to rebuke me. That God is going to chide me. That God's going to call me out on something. How many people are living with this expectation that one day the axe is going to fall? Rather than living in the realm of what Christ has accomplished for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, that we now stand before him, holy, blameless, without reproach. Verse 23, the only condition is that you fully believe the truth. He's saying there is a condition for you to experience standing before God, holy, blameless, presented by Christ himself. And the condition is that you believe the truth. Standing in it steadfast and firm. Strong in the Lord, convinced of the good news that Jesus died for you. And never shifting from trusting him to save you. This is the wonderful news that came to each of you and is now spreading all over the world. And I, Paul, have the joy of telling it to others. And that's sometimes how I feel as a minister of the gospel. It's like you've won the lotto ticket and I've got the winning numbers for you. I can't wait to tell people that God is a good father and that you've been presented by Christ himself and that you can stand in his presence without a sense of condemnation, guilt, or shame. That you stand before God completely holy and blameless and without reproach. 
You may be an unlikable person. You might not be a good friend to those around you. You might be rejecting everyone around you, but the good news is God accepts and loves you just the way you are. And it's an experience of that love that'll deal with those rejection issues where you can begin to accept and love people. And Jesus himself lived with the consciousness that he was loved by his Father. And I'm gonna close with this in Matthew 3, verse 17. Jesus heard this affirmation from his Father. He believed it in his heart. God couldn't wait to express his love for his Son. And he spoke from heaven, and I'm gonna read it out of three translations here in the Amplified. It says, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, my beloved, in whom I delight. In the CEB translation, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. In the message, it says, and along with the spirit, a voice, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. You and I, the Bible says, have been accepted in the beloved. That you have been chosen and marked by the Father's love, and He delights in you. He delights in you, and He loves you, whether you do anything for Him or not. Now, that might sound shocking, but that's what unconditional love is. And the Apostle John writes, he says, we love God because He loved us first. And how many of us recovering Pharisees end up in a position where we are now trying to perform for God to love us rather than living in the revelation and experience of the fact that God loves me before I did anything for him. Just like he loved his son and declared over him, you are my boyki, I love you, you are mine, I delight in you. And Jesus lived from this perspective and miracles happened. That you have been loved from the foundation of the world chosen, marked out by his love. And when you believe this, miracles happen. You start to experience a supernatural life, lifestyle. You start to see the goodness of God and the favor of God manifesting without your effort, but believing, standing in the truth that you are holy and blameless and without reproach, that you are the righteousness of God, chosen and marked by his love, the delight of his life. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet this morning? Let's not be stingy with our love. Let's rather follow the example and be imitators of God and be extravagant as we begin to give love and acceptance to others because we have been loved and accepted by God himself. Won't you bow your heads and just close your eyes? Maybe you came here this morning and it's like, Lord, there's two things I want to just focus on this morning. Maybe you came here this morning with this just low sense or the sense of condemnation, this nagging sense of I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be a good enough father. I'm never going to be a good enough husband. I'm never going to be a good enough whatever it might be. And God wants to remind you this morning that you've been chosen and marked by his love that in him you are holy and blameless and without reproach. And secondly, maybe you've come in here and you've been rejected, rejected by a partner, 
a family member, a child, an employer. And it's difficult for you to let go of it. Where you've tried to work for the approval of people and have been so disappointed. Where you've given everything, gone the extra mile and been rejected. And I believe God wants to let you know this morning, you can let go of those people and receive the affirmation of your Father that He accepts you. He loves you. He values you. He has purchased you and redeemed you. You're the apple of His eye. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You've got purpose and destiny in you. Maybe you're standing here this morning, you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Maybe you, at one time you knew God, but you've walked away from him. But you can sense God knocking on the door of your heart this morning. And you can hear him saying, come home, child. If that's you, I, I want to lead you in a simple prayer this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you to the front. But if you sense God calling you home this morning, Maybe you've never received Jesus or at one time you did but you've walked away but you sense God saying come home and you'd like me to pray for you this morning with no one looking around. If that's you, won't you just slip up your hand so I can see you and I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer where you are to receive what God wants to give so freely. Just slip up your hand with no one looking around. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Can we just pray with those who lifted their hands this morning? Just as a, as a body, won't you just pray after me? Those of you who lifted your hands or wanted to lift your hands, won't you just, you're not praying to me, you're praying to God, you know that. So just pray after me, everybody. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I believe... You are Lord of all. Thank you for loving me, saving me, and welcoming me. I trust in you. In Jesus' name. So Father, we thank you for those who raised their hands this morning. We thank you for those that you are doing something in their hearts this morning. Father, thank you for helping us to encounter your love afresh. Thank you, Lord, that we can enter into a place of unconditional acceptance apart from the opinions of people, that we are valued by you. We thank you for the power of the gospel this morning that touches and changes our hearts. Lord, and in everything that we do, we always give you the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.